to another uh, episode of LNS Elevate. My name is Devon Wilson. I'm the Associate Dean for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion in the College of Letters and Science at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, LNS Elevate is a podcast dedicated to elevating and celebrating the voices of campus leaders who are driving change in our community and beyond. And today's topic is one of those important topics that I've really uh, been trying to get my arms around because I think it's so important. Um, and I'm, I'm so happy to have uh, really a close colleague and friend here to kind of talk about this important topic because I think it's emerged uh, here in higher education and we're also trying to figure out how to operationalize it. And so I'm going to welcome to LNS Elevate uh, my good friend, uh, Tony Chambers, the Director of Community Wellbeing uh, for the Center for Healthy Minds, one of my favorite titles of all time. Welcome, Tony. Well, thanks. Glad to be here. And thanks a lot, Devon. I really appreciate you having me on. I'm looking forward to this. You know, uh, one of the things we often like to have our guests do is in rather than in, in, in lieu of formal introductions is kind of just talk a little bit about their journey as a way of introducing themselves uh, to our audience. And you, as you always self-describe as, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of a baby of higher education. You've done so many different things that all, I think, shape you uh, that have prepared you for this moment in the work that you're doing right now in the Center for Healthy Minds. Can you just talk a little bit about your journey and how that journey has kind of informed uh what you're doing right now in the Center for, for Healthy Minds. Sure. Um, uh, first of all, I probably want to preface it by saying that much of my understanding about higher education came from or comes from experiences outside of higher education. Mm. And, and I'm going to contextualize that in a minute. Uh, but I had never intended on going to college. And I think that's instructive. It's important for folks to know that uh, college was not a part of my trajectory. Uh, when I was young, my my plan was to do what folks did in my neighborhood, right? They went to the military or they worked in the factories. And that's what surrounded uh, my world at the time. So that was my plan until it got disrupted uh, by a recruiter who happened to play basketball with me on a, in a pickup game, right? <laughs> Accident. So the guy, the that's guy what happens. I mean, I was out playing basketball by myself <laughs> on the school ground and this dude came over, right? And he said, well, uh, aren't you supposed to be in school? I had graduated from high school early and I couldn't get a job because I was too young and couldn't go to military. I was too young. So he says, yeah, I'm a recruiter for this school down in southern Illinois, central Illinois. And I'm taking some kids from the neighborhood down there to take a look at the place and would you be interested in going? Sounds like you got an interesting story. So I said, well, you know, I, I, I can do that. I ain't doing nothing else. Waiting, <laughs> <laughs> waiting to get a job, you know. So the guy took me down and I, it was the first introduction to college. I, I, that wasn't part of my plan. Uh, and I fell in love with the aesthetics of the place, right? It was beautiful. And it had grass, which I didn't grow up around. I grew up around concrete. It had, you know, blue skies. And I grew up around factories that made the sky gray. So I didn't know the sky was blue until I went, you know, to college. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know that, you know, you didn't just throw your trash down on the ground. That's right. These things called trash cans, right? <laughs> you know, so that started my story. You know, fast forward several years, you know, I got so into school, I really enjoyed it. Did a master's degree at uh, Illinois State University, you know, big up for the Redbirds. Mm -hmm. uh, loved it. Um, and then uh, went on to, uh, got a job there to do some interesting things and went on to uh, University of Florida, where I was uh, I interviewed and was selected to be an assistant dean. Uh, at the time, young guy, I had no idea what that meant, but that's right. they took me in. Uh, 
So I, I did that. And one of the conditions they told me that they told me after I took the job and was, you know, packed up stuff and was living in Gainesville, Florida, my vice president said, you know, you got to do a doctorate if you're going to stay in this job because all the other assistant deans have doctorates. Mm. And I didn't know this going in because, you know, I thought I was done uh, with school. Uh, so I said, well, you know, yeah, OK, if I got that's what I got to do. And he said, well, I will be your advisor uh, for your doctorate. And we'll cover the cost. And those are magic words to me. Yeah, you can't beat that. You know, so they paid for my, for the most part, paid for my doctorate. I worked it, you know, part time and worked full time and had a new baby and living in a new state. I mean, it was, it was, it was live at the time. Uh, so, you know, I, I worked my way through that. It was, you know, and I'm, I didn't realize at the time, as most of our students don't, that the people you engage at that point in your life becoming instrumental in your next steps and for your future. And you don't know that until your future happens, right? And so many of these people became very instrumental uh, to me as I progressed through the field, mostly in the field of student affairs, of which I, again, I didn't know about until I was in it. I've worked at, oh my Lord, now it's amounting to almost nine institutions, nine higher education institutions, plus a couple of uh, foundations giving away folks money uh, at the time. Uh, so, uh, and, and and it was not, not because I didn't enjoy the jobs I was in, it's because I knew there was something else to learn. And there was somebody else's life that I was supposed to impact as my life was impacted. So I listened to the calling, which has been sort of my MO. I sit still and let the universe say what it needs to say to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I try to exercise the best discernment skills that I have to determine if this is an opportunity or if this is a distraction. So many of the choices I've made have been in those moments. And again, on the surface, many of these opportunities or things did not appear to be uh, opportunities. But what I heard in, in those silent moments was this is what you're supposed to be doing. And this is why you should be doing it. And you need to give it what you got. So that's how my choices have been made. There are touch points in my trajectory that I, I do need to mention without, um, not to say that other opportunities weren't blessings and, and that I didn't get benefit from them or didn't give benefit, but there were a couple of interesting touch points. One touch point was um, in 1992, uh, the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, the Cornflakes people, for those who don't know, <laughs> Kellogg Foundation, in Battle Creek, Michigan, for about 15 years, they had selected um, 40 people from around the country um, out of, you know, applicants of a couple of thousand people. They, they selected 40 people uh, to go on a three-year journey. And by that, I mean, they bought out our time at work, so I didn't have to work a full-time job for three years. Uh, and they paid my institution uh, for my, for the time off. They gave us more money than than I probably will ever make in my lifetime, you know, working uh, to travel around the world. And they put us in the company of people who uh, to this day have been uh, transformative innovators around the country. Uh, notably, our past uh, Surgeon General was a part of my group of 40. We've had several college presidents. We've had several U.S. senators and legislators uh, as a part of my group of 40. They weren't then, but they became later on. Mm -hmm. 
And we traveled the world and explored what it meant to be uh, leaders and what some of the challenges were. And we all had uh, goals that we wanted to explore. Mine, I wanted to know how kids were resilient in, in war areas and, and very volatile war torn war torn war torn areas around the world. So I traveled to some of the most difficult places where kids were um, separated from parents. Some of them had to actually do pretty atrocious things to other people, young kids as well as to adults. And I spent time with these kids to find out how in the heck do you guys still go? I mean, how how can you be resilient in the face of all of these really difficult things? Uh, and that three-year journey of not having to you know, be at my job full time, of having access to resources, human resources, people, leaders around the world, and being in the company of really outstanding folks who uh, who were doing some pretty incredible stuff and becoming incredible things. Uh, it gave me a sense of the world, not just of a job or of a place that sort of launched me into a different space that I'd never expected to be in. Uh, the downside to that experience is that once you have a three-year experience like that, everything else is mundane. Mm. Uh, subsequently, I left higher education for uh, five years and went to a foundation, the Fetzer Institute, which gets into part of the conversation that, that we're going to get into in a minute. It was my introduction to uh, the concept of mindfulness and to the concepts uh, that I've since spent much of this part of my life since 1996, at least much of my life trying to understand and trying to put it in, in a broader context. So I went to the Fetzer Institute, which is a nonprofit operating foundation in uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, of all places, uh, and has launched some of the most important work, I think, that's gone on on the planet. Some of the work that we uh, do in the Center for Healthy Minds was initially funded by the Fetzer Institute. It is a multi-billion dollar foundation uh, that supports the relationship between mind, body, and spirit. Uh, and the work of Parker Palmer, who is um, from Madison, but is is sort of uh, this figure in, in, in the world of, of mindfulness, in the, in the world of kindness, in the world of uh, uh, flourishing in other areas. Uh, Dan Goldman. I mean, these these names may not mean anything, but many of the people who launched the field mm -hmm. uh, were initially supported uh, by the work and the support of the Fetzer Institute and continues to be much like the Center for Healthy Minds is, is still being supported by the Fetzer Institute uh, to a large degree. So I was blessed and fortunate to be able to do some pretty interesting things at Fetzer, which mm. uh, I want to give them some big ups for taking me on and, and helping me do what I do. Then I had to go back to higher education because, again, once you become exposed to those kind of experiences, some of the things that matter stop mattering. Mm -hmm. right? And I didn't want that to happen. So I want to get back to roots. So I, a friend of mine and I, who were both at, you know, did our work through the Kellogg Foundation, its fellows, uh, started this thing at the University of Michigan. In Ann Arbor, uh, and it was called um, uh, the National Forum on Higher Education for the Public Good. Mm. And what we did there, and I also became an associate uh, adjunct associate professor there, teaching uh, and student development in other areas. But 
uh, one of the things we did at, at the National Forum was we wanted to transform higher education to be more committed to public purposes. Mm. Because what we have recognized and what's come to pass since then uh, is that uh, higher education has become much more of a private good. Individuals have been benefiting more than society. That's right. So much so uh, that states have started, it started in about 1973, started to started to reduce the funding, the state funding for higher education. I mean, institution, public institutions, their operating budgets were shrinking uh, from state funding, from operating funds from the state. Thus, they had to seek funding from private sources, and it became much more of a private enterprise than uh, than a public enterprise and, and society. You know, University of Wisconsin, notwithstanding with the Wisconsin experience, uh, was not paying attention to what was going on to the degree that we could uh, in, in the public sphere. So we wanted to know, how do we get higher education back to its public purposes, its public roots? How can we have a publicly supported institution constitutionally, financially, ethically, and morally? How can we get these institutions to make better choices about its commitment uh, to society? So we did a lot of convening. We did a lot of funding because the Kellogg Foundation gave us a whack of cash and told us to do what you need to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and we worked with leaders and with other people. And what we came to understand over the course of about four years, traveling the states, convening people who were, you know, thought leaders and institutional decision makers and legislators and all these other people, what we came to understand is that institutions, because they're part of a system, is difficult to change. And that if change is going to happen, it has to happen at an institution, at an institution level. So we refocused our attention to institutional transformation and away from systemic transformation. And mm. I think it's playing itself out fairly well even now because systems uh, are becoming uh, uh, less effective, I think, less effective than, than institutions or institutional level decisions. So that transformed, again, the way I thought about higher education, mm -hmm. our work at, at Michigan. Fast forward a couple of more minutes. Mm -hmm. um, we're in, uh, we're in a, different, a difficult political time in the United States post 9-11 uh, in 2001. And somewhere around 2003, I was doing um, uh, consulting work with folks at the University of Toronto up in, in Ontario and Canada. And uh, one day they, you know, the provost and some other people came to visit Ann Arbor and they, we had them over for dinner and they asked, you know, what would it take for you guys to move to Toronto, to move to Canada? Mm -hmm. You know, we, we've been dancing for a long time. I mean, we've been, <laughs> we've been dating. When are we going to get married? So, <laughs> so I'm like, you know, I, I, I need to make some decisions. And but I don't know if I want to live in a big city. And, you know, we were freaking out about our kids being raised in a big city. So we sat still as we do when we have to make these decisions and, and be clear about what's in front of us. And what was said to us um, in the silent time, in those silent moments was. You need to do this. 
this, mm. this this is what you need to do and this is where you need to go uh and i had you know we all have the skills we all have mm. experience so we took you know like the clampets we piled our stuff up in the car <laughs> <laughs> and, and drove north right we, we left the states and for a good 12 years which is how our kids grew up in the city of toronto the move was not just about higher education. None of the moves, in fact, were about higher education, but they've influenced the decisions and the activities that I've been engaged in. Uh, I was a tenured professor at University of Toronto. I was an associate vice provost uh, at the University of Toronto, a department chair. You know, I worked for the Ministry of Education, which is analogous to our Department of Education here in, here in the States. Uh, to do some pretty interesting stuff. Some of my work there was uh, influenced Supreme, changing Supreme Court decisions uh, in the country, uh, as well as uh, some other things that I'm fairly proud of, but again, had very little to do with, with higher education. It had everything to do with a, a value set that came about by sitting quiet and discerning between what's right uh, and what's expedient um, at the time. Left Toronto, I retired early. Uh, uh, family was here in Madison, some of the family, some of the family in Chicago, and it was time to come back and give. It was come back to, to serve and to do what what you're supposed to do. You help your people. That's right. Right? And That's so right. I retired early, moved to, packed up, packed up the truck, moved back to Beverly, you know, clamp it's again. <laughs> moved move, move to Madison uh, and worked at a little school here in town, uh, Edgewood College, which we won't get into at the moment. But it, it, it was it was an experience and uh, moved around a bit. And this was in 2016 and wound up at the University of Wisconsin. And all of that to say, and I know it was a long journey, a long, yep. long winded thing. All of that to say is the Center for Healthy Minds is sort of a uh, a composite. What we do there and what it represents is a composite of the things that I've experienced through a life of listening, a mm. life of trying to practice what's right, uh, not always uh, received well, but I, I honestly believe the choices that were made were the right ones for the right reasons. And going to the Center for Healthy Minds and its focus on trying to understand the mind and understand our behavior, our behavior as, as it relates to how our mind works and understand how we get to a space of kindness and care um, uh, in, in these times in particular, again, was a composite of many of the, the choices that were made. I made them and sometimes the choices were made for me but throughout my lifetime. So um, again, apologies for the long windedness. Well, this is important. I mean, one of the things I love this because there are times when we don't create space to Storytelling is important. I mean, it's 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 it's. Uh, I think as we were listening to your journey, it's almost a, a therapy in a sense when you're reflecting on on that. Oh, yeah. You know, you're, you're processing, um, and um, and it kind of gets into the heart of our discussion in some sense because you know one of the growing um, areas is just kind of really thinking about what it means to belong. And you and I have spent the past year or so really yeah. digging into this and thinking about the critical nature of this work as it re relates to their kind of 
equity, diversity, and inclusion and, and now belonging efforts, mm -hmm. right? And thinking about it in the context, and you've done some really interesting work. What, what why is it important in in a higher ed context to be really centering our work around this this notion of belonging? Well, I, I, again, I, I would say in higher education, it's it's quite critical mm -hmm. because by by nature, um, systems or sectors like higher education, like like many sectors, uh, are not built uh, for people to develop a sense of belonging because it's so um, transient. Mm -hmm. You know, we we our timetable, our rhythm in higher education is to be in and to be out, and that's not just for students, but they have the clearest rhythm of. Four years in, five years in, six years in, and sometimes a little longer, but the goal is to get out. And we tell them that from day one, and they tell us that from day one. Uh, faculty and staff, uh, any more these days, the way to move up is to move out. And we've heard this rhythm time and time again, and we focus on getting what we need to get done and focusing on the things we need to focus on in order to move on, uh, whether it's within the same environment or outside of an environment more these days. So to develop a sense of place, right, to develop a place, a sense that I ca somebody cares about me, somebody wants me to be my best and do my best, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody who got my back, like I found people like you, who on any given day, man, <laughs> when, when stuff goes south, I know you got my back and you don't even have to say it. And that's, that's a pretty unique experience. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in, in post-secondary education, it's a pretty unique experience almost anywhere, but in post-secondary education where uh, the currency is, is, is competition and the currency is individualism and, you know, self-promotion and getting what you can get in, in, in these kind of environments where you know somebody is thinking about you and caring about you makes me want to be the best I can. And I think for our students, especially and particularly students of color and first-generation students, uh, low-income students, who may for the first time have encountered these competitive and very challenging individualistic spaces, to have somebody uh, sort of let them know that, that they care about them, that they got their back, and that their success is primary, right? I think it sends a message and it changes the trans it changes it changes the landscape for the work we do and the work that could be done. And for those of us who believe that we don't teach students, we actually teach citizens of the world. Right? Student is 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 a means to an end, right? Mm -hmm. And what we give them is preparing them for something much larger than for them to be good students. We're preparing them to be good parents, we're preparing them to be good community folk, good citizens of the world, good politicians, good architects. We're preparing them for something much larger than their time with us. And if they don't feel like they're connected in any way, the chances are, and our data kind of bears this out, our data suggests that they're not going to stick with it. They're going to stick with us. And further, what we understand is that they're not going to understand that it's their responsibility to create a space for belonging for other people to be the best that they can be. So we break, you know, we break this potential connection to a better world uh, if we don't do simple things to make them feel like they connect, as well as staff and faculty, mm -hmm. and other, but students in particular. So it's 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 critically important 
mentally, it's critically important in terms of the survival of a, a democratic world and a caring and a kind world, I think. Uh, and, and it's critical for their, their future success and for our future, our future success as well. When you, when you think about, you know, ways in which people can activate themselves, you know, whether it's at a unit level or thinking about it institutionally, what are, what are some, some, some quick, where's some ways in which people can activate and begin to um, address a, a sense of belonging either at a unit level or in their space that can um, begin to help um, accelerate this work. You know, everybody, we kind of, you know, we, we've been really building this on that. People can leave from where they sit. Right. And so um, are there ways in which you might recommend, I, I know we have a number of units who are really trying to rethink, you know, their own unit environment, uh, whether it's an academic department or, administrative unit, I, I see that, but also individuals who are trying to figure out ways they can help in their environments. Are there ways in which uh, you can provide them with some 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 tools or some ways to begin to think about this work? For sure. You know, and, and we don't have to look far for these tools, yeah, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if I, if I could localize this thing, Devon, mm -hmm. um, when you came into my life or when people like you, mm -hmm. that I could count on a few hands, like you, uh, come into somebody's life, uh, a couple of things become pretty common. You know, you felt, I felt seen, mm -hmm. right? And, and it didn't have to do with, you know, you inviting me out to you know, 50 meals and, you know, telling me that I see you. I, I didn't need to hear those things. Mm -hmm. What I did, did need to know uh, was that you were going to be there. When I call mm -hmm. you or text you or email you or see you on the street, I feel like you are not ignoring me, that, that you actually see me. And that's fairly simple. For mm -hmm. us, for faculty and staff in the presence of students, I don't care who these students are, but particularly students who haven't had a long history of being seen, in fact, have had a long history of being <laughs> ignored in some cases, mm -hmm. uh, to actually walk with them and ask questions about their life, to sit with them you know, for a minute or two and ask them, you know, what, how's your day been? You know, what can I do to make your day better? Right? Uh, can you help me with this important thing? Because what you have to give is something nobody else has, and I, it would make this much better. Your being here makes this experience or makes this thing we're trying to do so much better than it would have been if you not if you weren't here and you didn't contribute. But make people feel seen and valued. I guess one of the other things we can do is be in constant communication, right? Don't drop the communication bomb, right? <clears throat> we have to let people know that they're forever on, on on a mind like we would people we love and care about. You know, you don't just drop people uh, when you get what you want to get from them, right? You, you, you make sure that they know that they're bigger than uh, the purpose that they serve in the moment, right? And oftentimes when we talk about issues of diversity on college campuses, we count you and then we count the next group that's coming in. Right. And that, that's the extent mm -hmm. of, of, of me seeing you. We have diversity, which means you add to a number. You're a number. But we have we have to look beyond beyond the numbers. It's an experiential thing. It's a connection thing. It's a communication thing. And not just for the moment or not just for those those peers that, you know, these folks are serving uh, a purpose for us. 
I think departments probably need to make some decisions about investing resources. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not talking bazillions of dollars, but, you know, I, and people say we ain't got no money in higher education. Well, my belief, and these are very resource rich institutions, we have money. It's how we make decisions about how to use the money. Right. There's plenty of resources and it's not always money. It's time. You know, it's reputation, it's connection, it's social capital. All of this stuff has has valuable and, and cachet. How we use all of those resources in the, you know, in the interest of creating a sense of belonging uh, is important. And it's also transparent. Young folks see all of this stuff. They know, we know that we make choices about how we use our resources, how we use our time, money, human capital, uh, social capital. If we employ our resources in ways that demonstrate belonging, it's seen. I mean, it's known. We know that. Can we take people to lunch? Can we invite people to go to conferences, young folks to go to conferences? Can we create uh, opportunities where certain important faculty and staff and administrators create space in their schedules on a regular basis to talk to students? Uh, about things that students want to talk about, not about stuff we want to tell them. You know, <laughs> we want to know. We we want to hear from them. We want to know what they want to know. Mm-hmm. We want to know what's bothering them. We want to know what's giving them joy. We want to know what's, um, you know, what they're anticipating, what they're expecting. We want to know all of that stuff, and we want them to know that we're concerned about that stuff, uh, right, on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So these things are not costly. And they're not costly financially. They're costly in terms of time and intent. The genuineness of it, I think, is is pretty important. We we can't fake. Uh, we can't we can't fake anything that's genuine, because these folks, these young folks, are so smart, and they're so intuitive, and they're so in tune. And once we screw it up once, it takes a long time to get it back. You you, you hit it right on it. You know, I I think uh, quotes uh, attribute to. Uh, was it, I think Frank Hale Jr. Uh, from the Ohio State commitment without currency is counterfeit. And mm. that currency, as mm. you you uh, put it, is it doesn't have to just be about financial, but that currency can be capitals of all form. But there has to be a committed investment. And uh, the one piece I think you really put is that um, it's not a resource issue. I love the way you put it. It is a prioritization issue. That's right. We spend money on things that we care about. That's right. And right? uh, we we often find ways to do that. And so you have to do that analysis and you have to really track those things in really important ways to match up because particularly uh, students, undergraduates, they track that. <laughs> they, that's the that's the way in which they know you're real or not. And they're very they're, they're very, um, you know, sophisticated about beginning to, to see where you actually are putting your investments, whether it's time, energy. Uh, talent or whatever it is. So I, those are very important points. And you can, they don't have to be large scales, but you have to really think about where you are prioritizing your energy if this is really important. I think those are really important points. And I hope folks who are listening are taking that uh, taking that home. I could talk to you about this all day. I, I, and I don't, it's, which is already <laughs> telling me you're going to be coming back. So we, we I, I, you and I could, uh, one of the things we often like to, to have uh, our guests share a little bit is, you know, what's one cool thing that you're reading, watching, listening to that you like to share with our listeners? Oh, my goodness gracious, Devon. Um, 
Okay, I'm gonna admit something to you that probably nobody. <laughs> hey, that's <laughs> what we try to do here. Bring it, bring it, bring it. This is the space. Well, I, I'll I'll admit something to you. Some things okay. I'm never gonna admit to you. All right. Okay. I'm one of these cats that got like a stack of books, like mm-hmm. every all over the house. Yes. I have them in my bed, near the bed. I have them in the bathroom. People don't read in the bathroom. I know, I know, but I do. Uh, I have them sitting all over the place. So I will pick up and read a chapter of this. I read a chapter of that. Uh, I love movies. So Teal has been, I mean, I've read about Emmett Teal like for generations. Oh, that was, that was, that was, oh, that was a. Oh, that was man. A I, yeah. I went to the movie, man. I cried the whole time. Yeah. I was angry. I was. Yes. It was insightful. I connected a bunch of dots that I, you know, I thought weren't even part of it. But it, it wasn't part of the movie. But it, it just, it just brought something out of me. And then I went recently to see the Fablemans, you know, the mm. Steven Steven Spielberg uh, kind of bi- autobiography ish mm-hmm. uh, movie. And and I saw some similarities between mm-hmm. what was happening in Jewish communities and Jewish families during a period of time, uh, and what was happening. Uh, in, in other communities of color. Mm-hmm. So again, when I look at these things, I try to I try to you know connect a few dots mm-hmm. and, and make sense out of the reality that I'm living. Um, books on creativity, you know, Mihai Chikzen Mihai has mm-hmm. been somebody that's been a part of my orbit since I was at Fetzer, has written a book on flow and mm-hmm. how we get into yeah. these minds of thing when things just happen. You know, athletes get into flow yeah, and they just flow, flow. yes. And uh, and and creativity. So uh, these things have fascinated me for a long time. And then I read junk stuff. You, know? oh, you got to have a little bit of that. And I'm reading this it's book. For, it's good you, for the soul. Hey, nobody should read this book, though. I'm, I'm going to tell you, but because it's, it's nasty, it's got bad language in it. It's promoting bad behavior. But I love the book. It's called uh, Random by a guy <laughs> named uh, Penn Gillette. And it's about what happens to gamblers in Las Vegas. <laughs> You know, and mm. how the act of, you know, shooting craps and all is a random thing, but can be predicted, which, again, mm. there's some dots mm. to be connected. So I'm mm. reading that stuff. I look at movies. I, I try to stay away from Netflix because, you know, I get addicted to that stuff. And you just, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. I, 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 when I saw this question, I knew you would give me some, you give our listeners some gems. I just knew that would happen. But it, Tony, you know, it's, it's, it's good to have you, you know, with us. Um, you know, I, I, as we close out, you know, I, I don't know if there's a, a final thought you want to share with our listeners. Uh, I'd love to have you have a final thought. And then as we close out this episode. Hey, man, it's a journey. Yeah, there it's 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 not about, you know, getting getting to the place. It's about the journey to get to the place. It's not about the place. Right. And, you know, and that we need to be reminded of that. No one becomes mindful without going through a journey you don't belong belonging is not a destination belonging is, is a process it's, it's a journey man you know and as long as we're on the on the earth you know vertical uh and breathing then it's part of the journey so live into it folk thank you thank you that's that's tony chambers director of community well-building building well-being excuse me uh for the center for healthy minds uh, thank you for joining uh, another episode of LNS Elevate. Um, you can find our uh, other episodes on all podcast platforms. Um, you know, uh, continue to do this work. Do it from where you live. Um, everyone can contribute uh, to advancing this work. Um, and hopefully um, you have been sparked 
uh, to activate or continue to do the work that you're doing where you're you're at. And then, as we always say, from my from my producer, Marlita and myself, we'll see you on the other side. For real. Thank you all.